The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, If you are watching us live, go ahead and smash that subscribe, smash that like, and come jump in the chat. This is a mailbag episode. We are always encouraging that live audience feedback. We've we've got a list of topics. We've got a list of questions, but we're not afraid to throw that to the side and tackle something if you've got something interesting to say. Uh, So please feel free to do that. If you're listening to this later on an audio platform, well, you still have an opportunity, especially with these mailbag episodes, to get in the conversation. You go and you leave us a five-star review. In that review, put your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. Uh, As what we will be getting to a little bit later includes, is there a scenario in 2022 where the SEC gets not one, not two, but zero teams in the college football playoff? We can lay that out. A little bit of NFL draft talk, some of our favorite college fight songs, uh, and more. But before we do that, uh, I wanted to take a little bit from the something from the news cycle that I think we can do a good job of at least um, explaining to to the audience because it is easy to see um, Congress introducing NIL bill, Tommy Tuberville, um, you know, the athletes bill of rights. It it seems as though on Washington's list, this is going to be the one week where they're just going to, you know, go and stick their nose in college sports and, you know, jostle things up for a little bit. So this, uh, I got this from Ross Dellinger that, Tommy Tuberville, uh, the senator from Alabama, plan intends to draft an NIL bill with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Tuberville says of the state of college sports, quote, I talked to all my buddies. You can get it. Who's Who are his buddies? This will be fun. Uh, quote, it's a mess. It's a free-for-all. 
additionally, we have the, again, I, I'm getting this from Ross Dellinger at, from Sports Illustrated, Corey Booker, who has authored an athlete's bill of rights bill uh, is going to reintroduce that as well. He's got a couple other senators on his side. Some of that includes the health care for student athletes, even after graduation, the opportunity to return to graduation and, and more. So as Washington and Congress are, are trying to get involved with college sports, it, it's not like they were uninvited. I mean, think about this whole media day cycle, conference commissioners, head coaches, like we need help from Washington. We need help from Washington. Eight NIL bills have been introduced in Congress. None of them have made it past committee. Uh, the Athletes' Bill of Rights was tanked because of an issue with post-graduation health care. As we get, once again, some legislative headlines, my, my question for us is, do we think anything comes of this as it pertains to the future of college sports? Bunch of coaches and conference commissioners begging for government handouts. Um, gosh. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I mean, will something come from it? I, I read there's been what, like eight proposals from Congress in like the last however many years that Since 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of them have actually turned into anything? Mm -mm. So maybe, I mean, there are, there are like, we have seen, like you said, like coaches have been saying that we need the Congress to step in and help conference commissioners. So maybe, and again, it's really nothing that matters to the actual governance of the country. So maybe Congress actually can get it done because they don't seem to want to do anything else. But I just, it's, I don't know, Danny, we talked about this on the radio show this morning. It's like, I, I feel like there needs to be some sort of guidelines for NIL. And I need, I think that there needs to be some just boundaries, but I don't really think Congress needs to be the people deciding what those boundaries are going to be. I think that the colleges and the universities and the conferences, if they really want to, they can get together and hammer this thing out. It's just how do you enforce it? Because even if Congress passes these rules, do you like run to your congressman if you think Alabama's breaking them and then he's supposed to take it to the Senate floor and they're going to vote on whether or not Alabama gets wins vacated? How the hell does it work? it's a mess. So I think this is all about, and I, it's mentioned in there. I think the number one thing that every coach wants is continuity across the board because we've had different States handle things differently. And that's been very frustrating for coaches in a state, which might have restrictions of what the school can and can't do, what sort of involvement they can be in. Um, so I think that's like the bare minimum. If they had some sort of federal, legislation that was across the board that said, okay, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. But the reason nobody has proposed anything is because they're worried about the legal ramifications of being sued. And I think it goes across the board to the conference commissioners. But I also think the politicians are trying to say, well, we need to be careful that we don't get sued. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, there's, there's antitrust issues that are involved. I think they want to be very cautious. Here's the thing that I think is, unintentionally hilarious to this. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is going to, well, there's a lot, there's a lot there that's unintentionally hilarious, but I don't think this bill is going to matter in five years. I think this is a temporal fix for a problem that is very short sighted and facing us right now. We are going to get to a place where the players are played as uh, paid as employees. When that happens, these are just marketing deals. Like this is what happens across professional sports. When I was a professional athlete, I had a deal with Nike. I did some appearances. You'd go sign some autographs. Those had zero impact on, you know, 
who I played for. Those were just additional money that I was allowed to make um, as a professional athlete. That's essentially what NIL deals are supposed to be. They're supposed to allow players to market themselves and make money based on their personal brand. But what they've turned into is this pay for play. And we've seen it influence recruiting. We've seen it influence players going from one school to another. Once they resolve what college football looks like, and I and it's going to be forced upon them, they're going to have to pay the players. Then they become employees. Then they're under contract from the school. Then I think you'll start seeing more professional aspects come into play of players maybe being traded. You might see buyouts of contracts like we see with coaches. And so I think there's a massive problem that needs a quick fix, but it's just going to be a problem that doesn't last very long because as soon as we get to a place where they're employees and they're paid by the schools or the TV companies or whoever the money comes from, they'll be under contract and this will be a non-issue. So we're wasting our time, I think. I get it that we need something right away, but I don't think we'll even be talking about this in a decade. Like, remember we we brought to Congress the need for a regulation for NIL deals, and we're going to look back on it and be like, well, how dumb were we? We couldn't figure this whole thing out faster. The antitrust exemption is a big part of this. Like that's uh, Matt Brown of Extra Points, who's been a guest on this podcast before, uh, pointed out in his newsletter that uh, you can find a majority, he said, uh, you can find 80 plus senators who agree broadly that college athletes should be able to monetize their NIL. And then he goes on to explain that on one side, you have some mostly democratic lawmakers that are very interested in long-term health care. That if, if we're going to really start to put in um, you know, some legislative oversight into college sports, that's the one thing that they're focused on. The Republican coalition, again, he says, he uses the word broadly a lot so that we're not you know, zeroing in on this, but he says giving the NCAA an antitrust exemption. That antitrust exemption would allow the NCAA to put in caps, to put in regulations that would prevent the wild, wild west. I mean, the wild, wild west, tell me this, do you think the wild, wild west is better for the players than set regulations? Yes, it's Down absolutely hell, right? better for the player. They have more leverage than NFL and NBA players. They have right. better, they can have more freedom of movement. They can do whatever they want. So yes, and the it's NFL better and NBA players. have antitrust exemptions from Congress that allow them to put in these caps. Now, there's also collective collective bargaining that goes into that. And as I've said before on this podcast, I am I I know enough to know that I don't know uh, about antitrust rules, but that certainly seems to be a big part of this conversation where the NCAA or college sports in general, if it's not the NCAA, if there is some sort of other entity that's formed, one thing that they will be looking for from Congress is the ability to not get sued for creating caps and regulations for how much can be earned by the most revenue generating athletes. Yeah. But I don't know. going back to what you were saying though, Danny, like about none of this mattering, it's important to remember that anytime we discuss this and like Congress is involved in senators and it's just any politician, these are free points. Oh yeah, that, for sure. Playing they're, they're score, yeah, this Playing is just your easy base. ways. Mm -hmm. This is easy ways to say, you know what? I don't like what this person thinks about this, but we agree on this. That's all that this is for the most part for many of them. And like you too, like that bill of rights, like with the Cory Booker thing, where it would be unlimited transfers, lifetime scholarships, the ability to come back. If you go to the draft, you aren't drafted. Like, I think there's a lot of merit to that, but I think some of the unintended side effects of that could possibly be like if schools are suddenly on the hook to have to pay, you know, like 
the scholarship lasts as long as they want to use it and they have to give them health care, like all that stuff. It's going to kill non-revenue sports mm. because the schools aren't going to be able to pay for all that and still do that for all the volleyball players and the soccer players and the swimmers and everything. So it's going to it's going to strictly become like unless you're making money, we're not we're not producing you. Do you know uh, there's a quote in here now? This is Tuberville. I, you could say this about anybody, and I don't want to pick on him specifically. He has been a punching bag for some jokes that are out there, but this quote just strikes me as hilarious because he said, there's got to be some rules. Right now, everybody is doing something different. There's a lot of money being paid, but this is not about the money. I've always been for the student athletes making money, but this is about giving everybody the opportunity on the college level, no matter what university, to feel like you have an opportunity to compete. He said, I've always been for the student athletes making money which you would hear if you pulled every they, every single mm-hmm. coach across yes. the country would say, I've always been. And yet, if you go back two years ago, they all, maybe not publicly because they saw it coming, they all would yeah. be like, this is bad yeah. for the game. This is horrible. <laughs> this is going to ruin it. We don't, all of them would have said it. Mm-hmm. I'm at least willing to admit that I've been against having players as employees and NIL. I've come around on like, I'm okay of saying I've changed my mind. But they're like to to the the arrogance to say I've always been about paying the student athletes is just ridiculous. And yet he's not the only one that would say it. It's just it's kind of it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you can't you can't come out and say, no, I would hate it because then it's like that's going to get used against you in recruiting. So it's like this. You want to go play for him? He's not he's going to pay you in crackers and maybe some, you know, maybe a ham peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's all he's going to give you. I didn't know you guys had already had a nice little conversation today. What else? What else yeah. is on the radio show? <laughs> we had a grand old time. We, we talked, talked a little bit about uh, college game days, new hire, mm-hmm. the Peloton. Oh yeah, because yes, yeah. and, and yeah. also we both, uh, we both news, Tom and I both a little dis- podcast. Yeah, yeah. Tom and I both a little disappointed that Kendall Tool was not the selection. Maybe. Uh, both, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe we should get Kendall on a cover three as one of our co-hosts. Hey, listen, Kendall. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll Open we're, invite. we're talking Peloton, uh, you know, several times here through the month of August. If you want to come and link up, hit us up. Uh, Matt Coca will be in the DMS at cover three podcast, and he can let you know uh, how to get involved. All right. Coca's got ahead. a great quote too. I found this earlier as well. He put it in the chat. This is Tuberville from just a couple years ago saying players are already getting paid. You've got to remember that. They're getting their scholarship. Plus, most of them are getting six, seven, eight hundred dollars cash a month from what we all call cost of attendance. So nobody's going hungry as college athlete, men and women. Uh, and then he said it should always be about the education. This is not farm minor league sports. It is education. That was just two years ago. He always believed they should get paid, but only their $500 a month yes, <laughs> cost <yeah>. of attendance. <laughs> cost of attendance plus, I mean. Hold on. I mean, listen, Tommy's finally found his lane in Congress. This is something that he's qualified to talk about, but he's also finding his groove as a politician into which he's saying something that's completely different than what he said a year ago. <laughs> yeah, just a, a real seasoned vet at this point. He's settling yeah. in. Tommy's found his groove. Well, and it's, you know, of course, I don't know why I put didn't put this together earlier, but after all these coaches spend all of media days talking about we need help from Congress, who who they calling? Like this <laughs> Tommy Tupperville probably has heard from all of his buddies and uh and now he is 
He's doing the best he can to represent him. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the big old bag of mail. Reminder, if you want to uh, jump in the comments and throw in a question, we can go ahead and, and get those in along with the mailbag questions. If you want to leave a question for the big old bag of mail, uh, you leave a five-star review. And in that review, to put your question, we'll tackle it in a future mailbag episode. This question comes from Dominic. Great shows, gentlemen. Glad to see that Chip was able to escape from Shawshank. Glad the screws did not find his tunnel under his life-size poster of Danny Cannell. <laughs> Hypothetical, of course. <laughs> Give me a scenario where the SEC does not get any teams in the playoff this year. So, it's, I mean, first of all, we've got Easy. to talk about the cannibalization Easy. situation, right? Easy. Okay. I'll give you this. I'll give you a scenario. And I don't want this to happen. Bryce Young gets hurt, and Georgia's defense is too much of a drop-off from last season, and they have to rely on the offense. Then there are two win teams. Bam, you see Ohio State. You might see two big, team tems, uh, big 10 teams in. Clemson opportunity, Oklahoma opportunity, one lost Pac-12 champ opportunity. That's the path for it to happen. Would I bet on that happening? No. And you, but you might be able to find some incredible odds on that. But – that's the in, that's how it happens in this scenario, like the doomsday scenario for Alabama and for Georgia is the SEC champion, no matter who it is, whether it still might be Alabama, it still might be Georgia. Maybe it's A&M, maybe it's Florida, maybe it's Tennessee. Who knows? Ole Miss. Are they still a two loss champion? Because if so, they're getting it. Yeah, I think the champion's got to be a three loss champion. Mm -hmm. I think it's got to be. I, I don't know. I You'd need some help if there were. Undefeateds, they would definitely be in over. I think a one-loss Big Ten champ is in over a two-loss SEC champ, for sure. In the Pac-12, like, but like if it's let's say Ohio State's got one loss or undefeated, Oklahoma one loss wins the Big Twelve, USC, USC or Utah or Oregon is like a one-loss Pac-12 champion. And then there's a two-loss SEC champion. Who's the non-conference champion that, with one or two losses that is going to get in over the two-loss SEC? Or And Clemson's undefeated in this scenario. Right, right. So let's say Clemson's undefeated. Ohio State's 11-1. and Oklahoma? One, what if Oklahoma's 11-1. Okay, 11 Whatever. The Big 12 champion. They're all one loss or undefeated. Does a two-loss Alabama, two-loss Georgia, A&M, whoever wins the SEC, get in over the Pac-12 team? I think so. No, unless it was Oregon's one loss was to Georgia. But what if Oregon beats? I mean, that's not, not. I think they're. What are they? What's the point? Well, actually, but that's part of. The, I think that's part of that. That'd be a good way to say that this doesn't happen. Let's say Georgia. One of its losses is to Oregon. Right. Oregon goes on to win the Pac-12. Uh, is Oklahoma playing anybody from the SEC this year? No. No, they're playing Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that that does nobody any good. Texas so, beats Alabama. What? That's another. Uh, I don't think it. Hey, somebody. I saw. Um. I I enjoy Reddit CFB on Twitter, and then they do a great job of bringing some of the the good LOLs to the to the forefront from the depths of Reddit. And one post that they shared was the old the the greatest scenario is Texas beats Alabama. We have the biggest Texas is back week of all, and oh then they lose gosh. at home to UTSA the following <laughs> week. <laughs> Jeff Trailer and the Roadrunners go into Austin and cook them a hottest fish grease. I love yeah. the hypotheticals, man, because what if Utah goes into Gainesville, beats Florida, and then yeah. Florida, let's say they're not sure who their quarterback is, they make a switch and they get good. I mean, this is a 
Florida team that was neck and neck with Georgia at halftime before Anthony Richardson had the you know costly turnovers and all of a sudden boom the game was over. Um, there are scenarios. I that's one thing I keep trying to warm because I do feel like it's a lock. I think Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia are probably in, but I think we get caught up in that sometimes and forget that these still are college kids. You still have injuries. You still could have a bad. You are one bad game away from losing. You know if. It's hard to picture Bryce Young throwing three interceptions and losing his composure and, and costing Alabama a game. But, you know, what if, what if, you know, somebody coughs up a couple fumbles or what if he sprains his ankle and misses a second half and it costs him? It's, you know, again, they were a team that was on the ropes to Auburn who wasn't That's very good last year. They're mm-hmm. like, I think we, and I, I myself do it too. And I want the chaos to happen. So I just, I think it's I think it's an I think it's a great question because I think there are definitely ways it could happen. I don't think it's that much of a lock. What schools Notre would, also Greg, Notre Dame is another one that we should introduce to the equation of how it happens. Like if Notre Dame yeah, is undefeated, yeah. then that's another sure. spot that ends up getting taken. Especially if Notre Dame being undefeated means they've defeated Ohio State and also USC. If the SEC missed the playoff, let's say it happened, how quickly does expansion happen? I mean, it's passed. Like it's passed on January twentieth. <laughs> Yes. I mean, that's, like three days, like right, twenty five yeah. minutes after the final rankings are announced, Greg Sankey's like, "Let's expand." <laughs> yeah, here we go. We've got, we've got. Do, do we have the votes? Doesn't matter. We're expanding. Here we go. Um, the scenario that I laid out was that the SEC e like Georgia falls back to the pack in the SEC East, and the SEC East champion pulls off a massive upset in the SEC championship game, such that our SEC champion has three losses. And that our SEC West team, you now have to go through the like the mind-bending pretzel that Danny Cannell hates, which is we just lost in the SEC championship game, but I'll tell you what, we're going to the college football playoff. And that would be the potential scenario if you do have Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma, and Notre Dame, other teams in there. Are you going to be able to say that an SEC West champion that just lost in the SEC championship game as its second loss is going to be able to make the college football playoff ahead of these other one loss or undefeated conference champions or Notre Dame. Mm. But what, what's the, we also just picked Georgia over under, or we will be picking Georgia mm-hmm. over under 11 and a half on the win total coming up. In but just there's also there. I think the other part of this conversation is that and because it said, does the SEC get shut out? I think it speaks more to like who else would make it besides Georgia, Alabama. Like, does it have to be them as a two-loss team? And do you trust Texas A&M? Do you trust Tennessee or Kentucky or Florida or LSU or any other team to finish with two or one, you know, two losses? I don't. Mm-mm. You know, no. so that's the thing I think that's interesting about this, and that's what we talked about when we're doing SEC media days, like I think there's a massive drop-off for the SEC. And if Georgia or Alabama stumble as those torchbearers, I wonder what it means for the conference. That's where I think they're vulnerable. But if Alabama loses twice in the regular season, you have to think one of those losses is probably to A&M. Right. So, but they lost to him last year, and A and M was a four-loss yeah. team. You know, so that, but so. then my point, my point there is that it's like, okay, so who are A and M's two losses to if they beat Alabama? Who are they losing to twice? I mean, they lost to Ole Miss. They lost to an unranked LSU. Like they lost uh, in those four losses. They weren't all bad losses, but they, they weren't. You couldn't make the playoffs. Also, with those. 
No. If, if the SEC misses the playoff, the narrative will be that the league is just so damn good that yes. it couldn't it couldn't escape itself. It's just it's like a black like a black hole. The gravity of the excellence just caused everything to collapse on itself. No, I, oh, I think- and that's where the push for the two loss champion would come from. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is this is the toughest league out there. Of course, you know we're still the best team. I mean, I heard I was listening to my boy Chris Doring. Even though it's a Gator, we are pretty good buddies. I was listening to him during SEC media days, and he was saying this is the you know they're they're pitching the deepest. This is the deepest the conference has ever been, especially the West. He said he thinks this is the the deepest the SEC West has ever been in in history. And I was like, are we looking at the same teams? Like I get they'll be okay, but you can't make that case. I don't I don't think you can make that claim now. I think that that might happen because of the coaching. Like you just go up and down the coaching roster in the SEC West and you're like, wow, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, uh, Brian Kelly, um, basically everybody but Brian Harson. You know, you're just you're, you're looking at them as high value coaches, coaches that get high placement in our power five coach rankings. So, you know, there is they're, they're spending a ton of money on coaches. So it becomes the most prestigious coaching job. They land good recruits. But I mean, there's there's only but so many wins that are available out there. Just because you've got the just because you've got great coaches doesn't mean everybody's going to be able to be awesome. I think it's also so it's the great coaches and it's the history that they fall back on. And this is where I think the brand bias helps a lot of schools that are brands, Ohio State included, teams that are outside. But like LSU is a great example. They weren't a good football team last the last two seasons. But mm-hmm. we remember, oh, the 2019, they might have been one of the best we've ever seen. And you compare that. Are you you uh, combine that with Brian Kelly coming in from Notre Dame? It's like, oh, they're going to be awesome this year. And I don't know if you can say that yet. Like, I want to see it play out. You want to see it play out on Sunday night in the Superdome? Yes. <laughs> well, when, or we see the other side that they're still in rebuild mode is what I want to see. Yeah, start, start to see Florida State get up there and uh, and make some headlines. Coming up on the other side, what happens when a school – you know, produces a lot of NFL draft talent, but then they don't really pan out to be great at the league. What's the impact of that on recruiting? Get into that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We got a good question here. Again, if you are watching us live, hit the subscribe and the like, jump on into the chat. Uh, We will grab a couple questions throughout the episode. This one comes from Richard. What program, we got to go off the top of our head. I know know this is a lot. I'm going to extend this so you can start to think. 
What program has done the worst job of hiring coaches in the 21st century? So since 2000, what program has done the worst job of hiring coaches? Oh God, mm. <laughs> this is this is what I wish I had a whole lot of time to do research into just off the cuff. Um, let's see. I'll what? go with one a hunch, and I'll look up the names to try to. Um, how Miami? I mean, Miami in two thousand one was yeah. one of the you know best yeah. teams in history, and I think that's a reason why they have fallen by the wayside is they have gone through this cycle of coaches and they've missed on so many. They've gone cheap. Well, all right. So Mark Richt is a the Mark Richt hire was is not necessarily a cheap hire, but I thought the Al Golden hire is a cheap hire, right? I mean, when you the the Randy Shannon is just like okay, Randy Shannon and Manny Diaz are just like ah, oh, let's go with the easy option. Maybe not all cheap, but cheap and easy. And what was not cheap and what was not easy was getting Mario Cristobal back. So I think that's one of the things that you could just say at the very top leads to a little bit of a turn. Uh, in in the Miami coaching, yo, here we go right here. Larry Scott it's, was an interim. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I Miami, would say even with the Coker uh, transition, I mean, he was ran off really fast. You know, Miami's after winning a good, national championship. I think Miami's a good call. I think a couple fans are putting in Tennessee in the chat, which I think is Tennessee. A good I think is a very good one. Yeah, they've since Fulmer especially considering down. where they were in the '98 championship. Like, and, and and that's a that's the specific reason, which is I think why these are two good fan bases to use as an example of. And, and I don't know, maybe it would have turned out differently if you would have been patient with one of these coaches. But man, when you start cycling through them and you miss on a couple, it sets you back because every time you're starting over. So Lane left, but it's Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's also a relation to Tennessee in this next one. I think USC has made some bad hires since Pete Carroll left and Lane Kiffin has been at Tennessee at USC, which is funny because I don't think Lane was a terrible hire for either one. I think I think if Lane had stayed at Tennessee, they probably would be further along than where they are now, obviously, because they, they followed it up with two terrible hires. I also think USC, his struggles there, like for me, USC's problem for most of this century since Pete Carroll left hasn't been the coach as much as it's been the administration, kind of just being somewhat behind the times on what it is and being a little too stuck in trying to keep, you know, going from the Pete Carroll tree to try to rekindle that. And I think Lane Kiffin would have been fine in the long run, but there were other problems at the time. So, but like the Clay Helton hire didn't really make a ton of sense. The Steve Sarkeesian hire didn't work out for him. So they've made a lot of bad hires. Um, but Illinois. Still, like I would say like Clay Helton won a Pac-12 championship. He, you know, he won three division titles. I'm not, but I don't think it's as bad of misses as you saw with Miami and Tennessee. Yeah, you know I think what I mean? they're far I think even worse. The Sark thing, the Sark hired looks better now. Like clearly, a lot of it was personal issues that he had to deal with. True. But now that he's a head coach at Texas, you're like, man, we just might have had the right guy at the wrong time. I think Florida's got to be in the running. Mm, but I think it's, but it's, it's what they also had. Like, there's a massive offset because they did have. Urban Myers, but mm-hmm. but yeah, but since the, since now, the Meyer like must champ McElwain didn't work out. I thought Mullen was a good hire. I still think Mullen's a great football coach, but just for what it takes to win in the SEC and to compete for national titles, maybe Mullen's just 
clearly that there's a disconnect there between what you have to do and what he can do, you know, and hopefully kind of, for them. Kind of like defending the Clay Helton hire. I mean, McElwain might've been a bad fit personally, but man, he had him in a good position. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it just wasn't enough because the expectation was so massive. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't, I, when then, I think about, didn't he win three, didn't he go to three championship games? I've, I mean, two back to back. A lot of success. yeah, but it was also like, it was also at a time when the East was yeah. not great. Like Georgia was down. Tennessee had been down forever. Like Missouri was winning the East there for a few years. It's like that's never a good sign when Mizzou comes from the Big 12 and immediately starts winning SEC East titles. I think like about, if Florida's uh, making the right hire, that's not happening. Florida and Texas are situations where the hire themselves, like the hire of Charlie Strong, I can't say that it was a bad hire. They make it, he was a, a good leadership candidate for the job. It's just there's other things that weren't going to click. The results didn't match the expectations. Tom Herman at the time, I, I think it was a pretty good hire, but there were other issues going on within the program. The expect the uh, results did not match the expectations. You decide to move on. I, what about Nebraska? I don't, I don't think it's been bad hires. I think it was a bad decision to fire. Bad decision oh, yeah. to fire Polini. Going back to yeah. Bo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, obvi- I think, honestly, the way things have gone the last since Polini was fired and just the way the sport has changed, I think Polini, that program would have started suffering. But I think that I think that, that that entire program at the time was just didn't realize, you know, they thought that they, they thought they were better than they were. And they didn't think that nine and three was enough. And I understand that considering the history that they had, but I think that there were also some signs that they were ignoring that, Hey, this just might be what you are. Yeah. Th- it's interesting. Some of the you know first places we went are these programs that are just so starved, right? Like what's the first, what's the first schools that came to mind? The ones that have the most passion, mm-hmm. the history that they're trying to match and that they still have not get gotten there yet. Uh, I'll, I'll say that Tennessee probably it's the one that stands out as the uh, the real coup de gras of the uh, of, of the collection. All right, let's go back to the uh, five star mailbag. This question comes from David. Hey guys, love the pod and all the content you're putting out, especially all the drafts. Had a question for the crew. Do you think players' lack of success in the NFL after getting drafted would hurt a school in recruiting? For example, Ohio State quarterbacks haven't had the best track record in the NFL. Could that hurt a school, or would players getting drafted in general overshadow that? I think Bud would be the best person to answer this question, but as a non-recruiting expert, I will say no. It has absolutely no impact. I think. I mean, you just think of a 16, 17-year-old kid being recruited for a college football you know scholarship you're good enough to get the scholarship if you're being recruited to play quarterback at ohio state you don't care what previous ohio state quarterbacks have done in the nfl because you think you're going to be better than they are anyway and you also know that okay maybe they haven't gone on to be super successful in the nfl but an ohio state quarterback just went number two in the draft last year cj stroud is probably going to go early in the draft next year so it's like it's more about getting you to the nfl and then once you get there i mean it's not up to your college coach to turn you into a great NFL player. It's his job to develop you and get you to the NFL. And then it becomes you on your shoulders. And then the situation you're in, in the NFL. So I don't think it has any real impact on recruiting. No, I think it's a combination of success on the field 
in college and getting those players to the NFL. Like Florida State has not had a great tradition of NFL quarterbacks. I mean, I remember when Jimbo was there, part of the recruiting pitch was, hey, we have three first rounders and EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, and Jameis Winston. Two of them are out of the league and one of them struggling, you know, to find his way in Jameis Winston. Maybe he has a comeback. But I think what's hurt Florida State far worse is not being very good. Mm-hmm. You know, like you and you can pitch to players all like, look at our history, look at our tradition. That's why I think Ohio State, because they're one of the best teams in football right now, they're gonna have no problem getting in a five-star quarterback. That's why their quarterback room was full of them this past season. It's it didn't, they don't, I don't think they care at all about the lack of success of court. They just want to know they have the chance to be drafted. Then let me take take the opportunity. So I'm with you, Tom. I think it's you're competitive. You're saying, hey, if I just give me the chance, I can be better than those guys, or I'll be the first. Because all the coaches will tell their own teams, you know, the, the all the different percent, you know, they always talk about like of, of this many high school players, only this many will play uh FBS Division One college football. And of this many, only this many will get drafted. And they they show you how that narrowing of the funnel that gets you all the way to the NFL. If I'm at the very beginning of that funnel as a high school player, just sort of engaging in the recruiting process, all I care about is going to be the easiest way to get to that payday. Now, even if it is just a, a rookie deal that is advantageous to the um, to the club, it is at least your opportunity to get paid to play the game at the highest level and continue to earn paychecks beyond that. And also, like go back to the example used in the question of Ohio State quarterbacks. <clears throat> it's true there haven't been a ton of great Ohio State quarterbacks in the NFL, but they've all come from different coaches in different eras who played in different offenses at the time. So it's like, it's not Ohio State. Mm. If, the, if the if the variable has changed over and over again, the only thing that's common is Ohio State. And it's not like living in Columbus for three years or whatever saps you of your ability to throw a football to the right player. Does Jimbo Fisher still get good quarterback coach reputation or is that narrative on shaky ground? Oh, I think he probably promotes these had three first rounders <laughs> without like without pointing out that, you know, I don't know what they haven't been great. Yeah, I don't know what Ponder's doing, but EJ does a great job on the ACC network, but he's yeah. not in the NFL. He's a great dude. He is a mass. I met him and hung out with him. He was one of the other captains for the spring football game. And I met him before. I remember when he shoot, I remember he was doing the car wash the week of the draft and I'd. I thought he'd be a second or a third round draft pick, but the way he carries, like he, he knew how to do the interviews. When you see him in person, he's physically impressive. Like he got how to sell himself in the best way possible. And I think that's what teams fell in love with. Same with Ponder. I mean, they're great individuals. And I think you can sell yourself that if your film is pretty good, they can be like, all right, I can see this guy leading our franchise and being a you know a, f- a first round pick, and you can get fooled by that sometimes. I wrote a a story in 2012 because at the time the ACC had Logan Thomas, EJ Emanuel, Taj Boyd, Mike Glennon, and Bryn Renner, who all had come from Virginia, and so I was like gathering a bunch on this sort of crop of Virginia quarterbacks, and one of the quotes that had come to me about Manuel was like, that guy is going to be a senator one day, like he is. He, he does a great job of, of presenting everything. And uh, so to back that up, I, I remember that early on, you could tell that he's a, he, he is able to uh, communicate and, and, and hold, 
hold court in a way that it's not surprising to see him be very successful on television now as well. So could EJ Manuel get NIL legislation passed? I I don't know. Let's 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 get let's get him. Congressional hearing. <laughs> yeah. I want to I get EJ Manuel out here so that we can find out what needs to happen. EJ, are you listening to the podcast? You might be listening to the podcast. Go fix Congress. That's your challenge. Good luck. <laughs> your challenge if you choose to accept it. I do not. I do not choose to accept it. <laughs> um, yeah, this Car- Carson in the chat said, I called NFL teams clubs. I've been watching too much soccer. Sorry, man. This, it would, it's that time of year. Premier League starts so tomorrow. Much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's dive into this next one. Oh, fun question. This, from RJ. Between playing my 100th NCAA 14 dynasty with the New Mexico Lobos and this podcast, my off-season college football fix is complete. Thank you, guys. Two questions for you. Number one, your Mount Rushmore of college fight songs. We're not going to get cease and desisted by pardon my take for this, are we? Um, oh, did they Did they do this exact? <clears throat> no, but they do the Mount Rushmores. I'm just goofing around. Uh, oh, okay. All right. I did some research on this one. I have a lot that I like, and I, I think it's great that he me- mentioned NCAA football because that is where That's most how I of know my him. knowledge of all. Yeah, exactly. My four, if I had to put Mount Rushmore, and this was difficult, there's a few I had to leave off, but the victors from Michigan, but the short version, like the full four minute version or whatever, that takes like a minute and a half before it really starts getting going, <laughs> leave it. Give me the shorter version of it. It's one that you hear most often at the games. After the uh, touchdown, when yes. they just like rip right into it and it's exactly. very bouncy. Yeah, I'm with. I'm There's a reason they don't play the whole thing. The first minute kind of sucks. Uh, Boomer Sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Notre Dame's Victory March. And Fight On from USC. Those would be my four. Wait, isn't that the commercial with the whale? <laughs> <laughs> have, y'all, have you ever noticed that it sounds like in that it's similar yeah. yeah it's very similar that, um, actually that that commercial nearly made my mount rushmore of college football fight socks too because <laughs> that, that whale slaps yeah get it i had some of the similar ones i had fight on i had i remember being a recruit uh at michigan when they came on the field um and all jumped up and touched the banner i mean it was goosebumps on there I'll add, but see, this one's curious to me. I'm seeing Tennessee's Rocky Top. Is that a fight song or is that just a song they sing for fun? You know what I mean? Because I I think think it's it's up there and they sing it together and they sing it. I think you noticed that one as being one of the top ones. And then um, this list of top tens, I'll go on Wisconsin too. Look at that Big Ten love, Tom. You said I didn't like the Big Ten. That's why you skipped the Big Ten win totals. You were like, (laughs) eh. I don't want to do either of these shows. That conference sucks. <laughs> you, you didn't want to put uh, Florida State on there? I think Florida State's pretty good. Yeah. Well, so which one are you going with? Like the F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Like the one they score in the touchdown or like the Tomahawk Chop? I mean, there's a lot of different ones. Like I think Florida State's traditions and songs as a whole all fit. But I don't know how many people could just come up with the Florida State fight song on their own. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I think the war chant is more – recognizable mm-hmm. than the f- official Florida State fight yeah. song. Than the post-touchdown right. uh, fight song. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got Clemson on there. You know. Not a big fan. Not a big fan? It's Tiger Red. What's a Tiger? Uh... C-L-E-M-S-O. Yeah! 
<laughs> what is it called? Tiger Rag? What's it called? Yeah, I think it is Tiger Rag. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I think USC, Oklahoma, and Michigan are like almost non negotiable for me. I had Clemson as my fourth there. Tiger Rag on. I, you mentioned Rocky Top. I like Rocky Top. The problem with Rocky Top is it's played the entire game. So it gets to the point where it's like you like it and it's fun. And then after a while, you're like, all right, stop playing the damn song. Like, <laughs> we've heard I, it enough. I swear to you, when I would try to go to sleep, because you're already trying to come down after a game, you're amped up, you know, it was all this adrenaline flowing. I would be closing my eyes and I could still hear the war chant. Like, it's embedded in your brain. You know how you look at a bright light and you close your eyes and it's just seared yes, in your eyes? Yes. That's the way the fight, to, like, for me, the war chant would be just kind of like, oh, yeah. like, and you'd be like, stop, I want to go to bed. <laughs> they do play it a lot. I love it. But, well, I mean, that's, that's the problem is y'all were too good. All right. <laughs> you played for Florida State teams that were so good that you're. Cosmic punishment is that you had to hear the war chant over and over and over again. Uh, mentioned from the chat for LSU's neck. It's not a fight song, though it is. <laughs> amazing, amazing stadium experience. I was going to uh, say, is, is Georgia Tech's fight song, Nuck If You Buck? Because yeah. <laughs> they do play that there. <laughs> There's a, there is a YouTube, one of the YouTube videos of the LSU student section singing neck. It's from 2018. I'm actually on the sideline and you can see my neck, my neck snap as I heard what the students were saying. <laughs> I hadn't been in the stadium to really feel it before. And I look at the, like the sheriff who's like, you know, like the, the sideline sheriff next to me. I was like, is it, did they just, did they just say what I think they said? Oh, they did say that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, second part of RJ's question that uh, that was also, I thought, a, a good part. He said, number two, out of the academic-focused programs out there, excluding Notre Dame, what program would you want to most be a head coach for? Duh. I want to have the best general manager in college football. Vanderbilt. <laughs> Vanderbilt's gig. Come on. I do, No, in all honesty, though, I think I might pick Vanderbilt because Same. of where it's located. I mean, Nashville is a great city. You're in the SEC. There's potential there. And I know Clark Lee is saying we're going to make it the national championship worthy. We're going to be the best team in the country. But I think there is potential for Vanderbilt. Illinois. No. no. <laughs> Didn't we say academic institutions? It's a fine <laughs> academic institution, sir. Check all your college rankings and see who's in the top ten. Um, I the one I want to pick, I can't pick. But mm -hmm. the honest answer, I can't give. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll go Vandy too. <laughs> I would choose Stanford, but I don't want to live in like have earthquakes all the time. Because Northern California, you know, it's getting hotter there. There's earthquakes. There's fires. I just that, that, I don't know that if I want to coach me. in the Pac-12, which may not be here. Yeah. Now, if Stanford moved to the Big Ten in some, you know, world, I would I would consider that as a pretty good one. And yeah, they've at least know. they've done it. They've sustained success. Maybe more. I mean, Northwestern has a pretty good run, but Stanford was there for a while. Wake Forest too humid. Georgia Tech, uh, same I don't with think the Wake is too. So I, I would, I wouldn't want to be in the shadow of Illinois, so I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't want to be in the shadow of the men's basketball program, so I wouldn't go there. I do think Vanderbilt's a great option. I would be afraid of playing in a massive stadium that's tough to fill up, so I wouldn't go to Atlanta. 
But I kind of think that Winston-Salem and Wake Forest is an option where I would enjoy coaching. It's a super small university, but when it does get activated, then all of a sudden like you feel it around campus just because there's like everyone is involved. Like Dave Clawson told us at the ACC football kickoff that for the last two or three home games, they had 90% of the student body at the stadium. I mean, it's like you literally become the biggest thing at the school uh, across the board. Nobody's checking out of that. And I think that's kind of an, that's kind of a fun thing to see. And maybe Dave Clawson's success is what's turned me on to it. But it, it was the two black and gold schools that were at the top of my ranking were Vanderbilt living in Nashville and being in the SEC and then Wake Forest. I like Winston-Salem. Um, and I think that the small campus could be fun if you are the head coach because it gives you a little bit of the, you know, the small environment while still playing big time college football. Does Army count? Yeah, I think so. I'm going Army. Boom. There's my answer. Well, like Michigan, I'm looking at these top one. Are these academic rankings? But Stanford's number two of the list I'm looking at. This can't mm-hmm. be. They're ahead of Harvard. They are. Yeah. On this oh, list. God, yeah. Stanford is. Well, Michigan is a top oh, yeah. 12. That's what I'm saying. I would also they're choose Michigan, but I don't. I think they're too good for the, the spirit of this question. If Notre yeah. Dame's not included, that's why I didn't pick Michigan. Yeah, if, Michigan if Michigan counts, Michigan, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, especially because we can already tell you from the Jim Harbaugh era, you don't even need to win conference titles. Mm-hmm. You can keep cashing these big old paychecks as long as you got no scandals, good graduation rates, and keep the donors happy. That's also, I would neat. open the NIL floodgates if I was in charge of the Michigan football program. <laughs> Congratulations, Tom Fernelli. Michigan fans have now hired you as the new head football coach mm-hmm. so, since you have opened it up. Uh, all right, let's do one more. This one's a, li- a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more convoluted, but kind of fun. I like it. Uh, question is from Aggie8484. Hey, guys. Wanted to ask a question about the social dynamics between rival fans in areas that are not in the footprint of the two schools. I've recently moved to Chicago a few years after graduating from Texas A&M. I've been surprised to see a decent amount of Longhorn gear being worn around town and in my neighborhood. Back when I lived in Texas, it wouldn't even register seeing someone with Texas clothes on as I've grown up with plenty of Texas fans and saw their logo around all the time. But here I'm way more aware when I see it. Now that we're about a thousand miles away from our respective campuses, should this be acknowledged whenever we cross paths in our respective gear? If so, how should I go about it? Don't break eye contact with them, trip them, verbally assault them, act like a normal human being and smile and wave or wave, ignore them or something else. Uh, Sam from Austin signed Sam from Austin to college station to Chicago. PS. I'm mostly saying this in jest and I'm not quite the socially incompetent. I'm not quite this socially incompetent. I promise. Love the show. So we're far away from the footprint. We're running. Like I've got my gear on the stranger has their gear on. How, How do we approach this? So real world example, I just got back from vacation a couple thousand miles from Florida where I live. We were in Park City, Utah. We're out in a hike on a mountain where there's not that many people around. And all of a sudden we see a family, multiple University of Miami shirts. And you pushed them off the mountain? Well, no, I said to my daughters, these losers coming. Like, <laughs> But I think you have to say, Go Knowles. Like you have to kind yeah. of give them a little needle 
and just to let them know like, hey, what's up? What's crazy, we also, there was a ton of Florida people out there, clearly, like from the state of Florida. We also were hiking up and down this trail and this family comes walking by and the dad says to his son, hey, look, there's a Florida State fan. And the kid had on a Florida State football jersey. Like he was a diehard. And so I was like, yeah, go Knowles. So clearly when you see your own, you say go Knowles or your you know, your fight, you know, whatever you want to say. But absolutely, if you see your rival, you have to needle them. You can't let it go unsaid. Yeah, I would I would tackle them and knock them off the mountain. <laughs> no, uh, to our questioner, just be clear, it could have been me wearing a Texas shirt you saw walking around the city because I'm currently wearing a Michigan State shirt. I wear lots of shirts schools I didn't go to. So just to be clear about that. But no, I think I'm with you, Danny. Just a head nod or just like a little jab, you know, saying, you know, go Knowles or, you know, ILL if you're me, if you see a Northwestern fan in the city of Chicago, which you don't because they don't exist. But just so, yeah, I would I would probably do that. Now, if you – so I also saw this. So I'm not wearing anything, you know, just workout clothes. If I see somebody in a Sooner shirt or somebody that's not like a hated rival, I might say there – I might be like Boomer yeah. and see them say Sooner. Or if I see I saw a Texas guy, I'm like, hook them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I kind of like that aspect of the college football vibe. Like just to like – you know, like a roll tide. You know, it's almost like a way to say hello to people that you're crossing wherever you may be. Yeah, we also have that. Like, not everybody's going to be also be able to carry on the next step of that conversation. You know, like when <laughs> then, huh? then they respond and then they want to say something. And guess what? Whether they know who we are or not, we've got locked and loaded opinions on all of the things that you love the most <laughs> as a fan of this school. Um, so that, that does give us a little bit of a social advantage in that situation. I think that you absolutely have to, at a minimum, look for eye contact and some sort of like smirk, smile, jab, like I I like, you know, just a quick little quip, something along the way. If you can even be so on your toes to like drop a score of like the last time that you beat them, like (laughs) 31, 27. Like (laughs) that would be just a a really good way to just, yeah, yeah. Get in there and preserve the rivalry. But see, you run the risk there because if you do that, you drop like a score and this person is maybe not like a diehard. Uh You might just look like an idiot. They'll be like, what? (laughs) Well, they're the one that looks like an idiot. They're wearing the shirt of your rival. But I'm just saying like, they might not be, you know, maybe they just went there. Like some people go to schools and don't actually care about the teams. So what? I know they're freaks. They're freaks to us, but we are the freaks to them. So it could get kind of awkward when you're like 31 to 27 and they're like, okay, cool. Is but this guy said, trying to kill me? I, but if you said second and 26 to a Georgia fan or if oh you're like, gosh. if you have that type of specific, yes. I think it'd be great because I think they would instantly, if it was a call, they a fan, they would know for sure. They would push you off. I don't know home. if the Miami fans would have known fourth and 14. That was the throw that Jordan Travis made to seal that win, breaking that streak. So I didn't know. Plus, they're fair weather. They probably – both teams weren't any good, so they didn't watch. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and throw this next one on here because I, I don't even know if there's a question. I just need to know. This, this has to do with seeing people and things in real life in Chicago, and I've, I've had this one sitting around. I, I didn't know how we're going to break it down, but I'll just read it and let Tom answer. Uh, other podcasts are nice. nice. This is the only one that has saved an actual life. Earlier this summer, I was meeting some high school friends at Kincaid's in Lincoln Park in Chicago. I'm late and in a hurry coming off the Arm- Armitage or Armitage? Armitage. 
the Armitage red line stop looking down at my phone when I accidentally slam into a man in a Carlos Lee White Sox jersey. I look up to apologize. It's Tom Fernelli. Tom, what are you doing at a Northwestern bar? He smirks, points to the bar with his head and says something about the in-laws visiting and how the Illini bar schoolyard closed. I introduce myself and we quickly go down the orange and blue rabbit hole. Seven minutes into talking about how Zook Rose Bowl linebacker Britt Miller isn't mentioned enough, we hear this loud crash like someone drove a car through a window. We look over at the chaos and there's Illinois head SID Kent Brown in Chicago facilitating a reunion of the best linebacker corp in college football history. Simeon Rice, Kevin Hardy, Dana Howard, and John Holacek? Yep. Okay. Uh, Kent waves over for some help. Simeon Rice is choking and the room is in shock. Without flinching, Tom slams his half-acre IPA down on the bar and rushes through the crowd. He gets his hands into position around Rice's torso and with the quickness and precision of Brandon Lloyd. One, two, three, four, five jabs with interlocked fisks. Per Red Cross rules, he goes, goes to start the back blows. First smack, the obstruction goes flying out. Kent Brown and I are stunned. The whole bar erupts and Rice hugs Tom. I saw that swim move, Buckus Award winner Dana Howard says. You might be the best edge rusher here. No, guys, you're the real heroes, Tom says. I'll honor you by posing this question on the Cover 3 podcast. Is Rice Hardy, Howard Holacek, the best group of linebackers in college football history, or at least the most underappreciated group ever? Dozens of bystanders try to buy Tom a drink. He just tips his cap and strolls out of the bar with his in-laws. Lives saved. Cover three, one, competition, zero. That's all true. That happened. <laughs> I know because he didn't say high life. That was the one thing that might have thrown me off. They don't, they don't have high life at, at Kincaid's. They're just, you know, they're a little, they're a little bougie. <laughs> um, did you meet Gordon at Kincaid's? Uh, no. Oh, okay. But yes, that's all true. Everything in that story really happened. Incredible. Um, I love I love the Carlos Lee jersey. Call. Very, Carlos <laughs> Lee has not been on the White Sox in a long time. <laughs> uh, hey, one smack on the back and Simeon Rice's life was saved. So thank you, Todd. You know, it's ironic because I have saved Simeon Rice's life before, just not in the way that story was told. We got? Can, can you tell it in like three minutes? No. Okay, so we've, we'll have to bring back the time that Tom Sim saved Simeon's rice. And if you would like to submit Cover 3 fanfic to the big old bag of mail, if it's, if it's funny enough, we'll, we'll read it on a future mailbag episode. Uh, thank you to Gordon for that contribution. And thank you for listening to the Cover 3 podcast. Obviously, you are a big fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back on Monday with the SEC East win totals. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Got it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 